0: So, my sermon today is titled Getting Around to Building God's House. Some of you might be thinking, another stewardship sermon? Pastor Joe didn't do this for the last two weeks. Um, The reason I asked to preach today is because I love this church, and that's all of you. And I want to see our community, this local body of Christ, thrive and grow right here in South Hadley. When I look around this church, I see many things. The excellent preaching of God's word that happens from our pulpit every week. The amazing music that energizes our worship of God. The spiritual growth of our members. I teach classes and I see people growing and having grown over the years. To support our church provides uh, with our children's ministries to support families who are trying to raise up their children in the faith. Our friendly and caring fellowship, and if you haven't been to our coffee hour, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, our dedicated staff and volunteers who come together every week to uh, allow us to worship and then celebrate. There's so many things that happen behind the scenes that people are stepping up and doing. Uh, and finally, our, even our long-term missions, we spent last month talking about our missions and outreach and some of the amazing thing, things our church is doing because of the efforts and the contributions of this group of people. I value all these wonderful things and I believe we are truly, truly glorifying God in all of them. And as Christy mentioned, I'm also a businessman. And I know that all organizations, including churches, need to be financially sustainable to achieve their mission over the long run. As someone who's been involved in our governing board for many years, I know that our budgets have been tight since COVID, and we've had to dip into our investment funds to make our operating budget work. It's a blessing that our church has this investment fund. A lot of churches don't have that, and it's, a, it's an amazing financial resource to rely on when we have a shortfall. But from my perspective, the primary purposes of this investment fund should be, first of all, to provide financial stability through unexpected challenges like COVID or leadership changes, to pay for long-term facility maintenance and uh, upgrade renovation projects, replacing the roof, repaving the parking lot, Renovating our our classroom and our family spaces. And, most excitingly, I think that fund should be ours to use for funding special programs and what I call Great Commission-related projects, like planting a church or starting a new outreach ministry. That's what I think that fund should be about. And while a church should not run just like a business, we are different— I do believe there are some good business stewardship principles that apply to our role in God's mission. One of these principles is that our income should cover our operating expenses. And since our financial offerings increase income and our volunteer efforts reduce expenses, it's mostly up to us to keep our finances healthy at this church. Now God is ultimately in control of our future as a church, and we can trust in him to sustain us if that's his will. However, God uses us as individuals to achieve his purposes, and we have a responsibility to use what he's given us in terms of resources, talents, and time in a way that glorifies him. We have all we need to accomplish his purposes if we keep our priorities straight. Which brings us to today's scripture, Haggai one verses one through fifteen, and let me read that to you. In the year, second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Joazadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Then the word, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because, my house, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought in the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and in all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So do you have something important in your life that you want to do in your life but never seem to get around to it? It just never seems to happen, never, never quite the priority. For instance, like exercising and eating well to lose that 30 pounds and bring down your cholesterol or blood sugar. Your doctor yells at you every time you go to a physical, I bet betcha. <laughs> um, or, or doing that overdue house project that, you know, sooner or later, it's going to grow into a much bigger problem. Or maybe on the personal side, reconciling with a long estranged relative or friend who you know is getting older. Or even on, the, on our faith side, developing a habit to regularly spend time in the Word. Yeah, I'm gonna get around to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna make that habit in my life. We've all had it. We've all had that mindset of, I'll get around to it someday. We want to do it, but it never seems to happen. You know it's the right thing, and it's important, but something else always seems to take priority. So last week, we heard Pastor Joe preach on Exodus 35, which tells of an amazing building effort. During the Jewish exodus from Egypt, in thanksgiving for their release from captivity, They enthusiastically and joyfully offered what they had to construct a majestic traveling tabernacle that would glorify God and be his house. They gave the project their highest priority. They worked diligently to see it through to completion and gave so much that they had extra left over at the end of the project. Now as a guy in the construction business, I can really appreciate a well-funded project with highly motivated, diligent workers, and an ample supply of the best of available materials. Wow, you just know that job is going to be a great success and turn out amazingly well. Ahead of schedule, under budget, with top quality. These people of God really got around to it. In today's reading, however, we hear about a later generation of Israelites who, a thousand years later, Start a similar endeavor to glorify God and rebuild his house in Jerusalem. But this group got derailed and had other priorities and never quite got around to it. So, before we dig into today's scripture deeper, I want to put it in the proper context as we officially in the preaching practicum have to do, right? Chrissy. Put it in context. So let's get the backstory to this. And the backstory to Haggai is found in the very last chapter of 2 Chronicles, kind of sets the stage, and then rolls right into the first six uh, chapters of Ezra, if you want to dig in and hear more of the story here. But I'll sum it up for you quickly. Um, At this point, God's people have been unfaithful. He sent prophets who were ignored and mocked again and again. God's wrath is aroused And so he uses Babylon as his agent of judgment against Israel for the sins of their idolatry and rebellion against him. This results in the conquest of Judah and the destruction and looting of the temple in Jerusalem by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. A remnant of God's people were captured and brought into exile in Babylon for 70 years. And there's a whole story to what that 70 represents, but it was we won't get into that today. But then 70 years later, the king of Persia, King Darius, conquers Nebuchadnezzar, and um, and uh, and so he takes over Babylon and takes over rule. So the Persians now have taken over rule of Babylon and the exiles who are there. And it's really interesting because the heart of this new Persian king is moved by God even though he wasn't a Jew. And it's fascinating. In Second Chronicles, king, king Cyrus proclaims, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Again, he's not a Jew. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. So he frees the people of God, with a charge to go back to Jerusalem from Babylon and rebuild the temple of God. This saga continues in in Ezra, the book of Ezra, where we learn that Cyrus also equips them for the task, and this is amazing, by calling all their non-Jewish neighbors to fund the project. Okay? He orders them, quote, in any locality where survivors may now be living, The people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And just to top it all off, Cyrus then gives them back all the silver and gold items that they looted from the temple 70 years earlier and says, "There, those are yours. Take those back to the temple. Um, So in 537 B.C., About 50,000 exiles journeyed from Babylon to Jerusalem and settled in to start the temple rebuilding project. They were enthusiastic about the mission and dug in, Um, similar to the the ones we heard about a 1,000 years earlier. But about a year into the project, uh, opposition starts to build to Cyrus, against Cyrus and the project but they're still proceeding with the work, but things are a little bit uh, unstable there. Um, And then, a couple years later, um, King Cyrus is replaced by King Artaxerxes, who has a very different perspective on this temple project, uh, which is shaped by the enemies of the Jews have lobbied against it. And so they convince Artaxerxes to basically put the project on hold for eight years. And he orders that because he's worried. They said, you know, if they build this temple, they're going to be more powerful and they're going to stop um, paying their taxes and doing all those things. So you just need to shut this down. And he did. But this is where it's, it gets interesting. So after eight years of this shutdown, Artaxerxes is replaced by King Darius. Darius investigates and then reaffirms Cyrus's original commitment to the Jews and the temple project. Darius proclaims, he says, do not interfere with the work on this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. And Darius also reinstates the funding for the project. Moreover, I hereby decree what you are to do for these elders of the Jews and the construction of this house of God. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. But even when the Persian king gives them political and financial backing, the Jews did not restart the work. Which brings us to the prophet Haggai, the reading we just read. So starting in in the first four verses... It's now been two years since Darius is in power. So he, two years ago, he said, you got the money, you got the freedom, go build this project. But the temple rebuild project still has not restarted. God voices his displeasure about the stalled project through the prophet Haggai to the governor, the high priest, and the people. And first he starts by verbalizing their excuse for not restarting the work. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the king's, the Lord's house. Then God asks a pointed rhetorical question. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? The Jews are comfortable in their nice paneled houses, but it's God's is in ruins. The clear answer to this question is no, but in reality, they were more focused on their own needs and priorities. And you can understand that. You know, they, they had just been in exile for 70 years. They're back in Jerusalem. They're rebuilding their lives. They've got, they're getting their lives in order. Um, they all knew they should be helping to rebuild God's temple. But they got derailed and distracted by, the, by other things. So it became a low priority. They had their own priorities to take care of, like growing food, making warm clothes, saving money for the future, and building their houses, and maybe making them nicer as well. Even in our day, we can can listen, listen to that list and say, yeah, those are all important things from a practical standpoint. I need to have food, I need to have money, I need to have shelter, I need clothing. And we throw other things on that list like we gotta save for kids' college, and we gotta save for vacation and Christmas presents. Pay off the mortgage save for retirement, fix up the house, get some new furniture, because this stuff is ratty. Um, With regard to the temple rebuilding project, I'm sure the Jews told themselves they would get around to it at some point. This just wasn't the right time. We've got higher priorities. But in verses 5 and 6, God challenges them to reflect on the impact of their misplaced priorities. The Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. In the ESV, this is translated as consider your ways. And in verse 7, God repeats for emphasis, give careful thought to your ways. When we see a repetition in scripture, that's meant to highlight a critical point. In other words, think about what you're doing and reflect on your priorities. You're you're focusing on your stuff first, not God's. The Jews were focusing on their priorities and depending on themselves instead of God, but things did not turn out well for them. As we read in verse 6, their own efforts failed to meet their needs. You have planted much, harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. All this focus on their own issues and priorities dishonored God by showing a lack of trust in him. Uh, and in verse 9, he sums up the fruitlessness of ignoring God and focusing on their own priorities. And this, to me, is the, the key verse. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, which each of you is busy, while each of you is busy with your own house. This prophetic challenge by Haggai finally gets through to them and resolves itself in the remaining verses and it ends like this. And with that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and the spirit of Joshua son of Jehozadak the high priest and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people they came and began to work on the house of the Lord God. In many cases in the Old Testament the people and their leaders ignore the prophets. But in this case, they were respectful of the voice of God given through Haggai, and God reignites their enthusiasm to bring the project to a successful completion. In the same way, when we make a decision to honor God first, to prioritize him in our lives, the Holy Spirit then empowers us to complete every good work he calls us to, even if we aren't sure how we're going to get there. My desire for us all today is that we give careful thought to our ways, to reflect on our own priorities with respect to God. To search our hearts to make sure that we aren't too busy with our own houses and ignoring the house of God. Now I've got to say I feel strongly when pastor when I when I said I would do this sermon there's something in my own heart that I'm talking to right now, and you guys need to hear it. The reason I feel so strongly about this issue of priorities is that I've personally struggled with this throughout my faith journey. My wife has always been the more generous and trustful of God with regard to how much we could give in our annual pledges. And um, as we discussed, yes, amen is right, And as we discussed our pledge for the upcoming year, I would always come up with other priorities for our money, like uh, we have that retirement account, we have that project we need to do, what about that big trip we wanted to take, Um, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Looking back now, I realize that at the root of my hesitation to increase our pledge was a lack of trust in God and more reliance on myself to care for all our needs as a family. My own attitude was very much like that of the people in today's scripture. Like them, I was focused on my own priorities and depending on myself instead of God. Jesus reminds us of this same misguided mindset in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We today are just as susceptible to focusing on our own needs and priorities and procrastinating on the things of God. And I'm just gonna give an example. I'm sure all of you experienced, I know we did in our house, this whole COVID thing the last four years. It was crazy. but. Remember, we had this whole year where we were stuck at home, and if you, if you watch the news, the Home Depot stock shot up peeping and lows because people all of a sudden started, they couldn't go out, they started investing in their homes, and a whole bunch of things got done and built during that time. It's now kind of flattened back out. But I know at my house, we built a fancy chicken coop, I expanded my back deck. We did a lot of things for our house. And, and so um, the... Uh, uh, I've got to say, we all have different means, we all have different life situations, um, and we all have different talents and time, etc. So we each need to assess our own priorities, particularly in terms of our contributions to and the support of God's house, his church, the body of Christ right here. For those of us who struggle to trust in God regarding what we can afford to contribute, Jesus' parable of the widow's offering demonstrates an intense faith and dependence on God, one that challenges our heart with regard to our priorities. And this is Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. But she, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. In his letter to Corinthians, Paul also exhorts us to keep our priorities straight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Remember this. Now, sometimes I talk about God's house. I'm not talking about this physical building. In the old covenant, God's people focused on building a physical house of God, whether it was the tabernacle or the temple. In the new covenant we receive through Jesus, the house of God is the local church, but not the building, but the local body of believers that are sitting here today. Brothers and sisters of Second Baptist Church, this congregation of people, the body of Christ is God's house, and we are called to support and build up. Both Peter and Paul reinforce this idea in their letters. In 1 Peter 2, it says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, and then in Ephesians two we read, and in Him too, and in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This means that even if we're meeting in catacombs like the early persecuted Christians, or in house churches like those today who live in in countries where, where that are hostile to Christianity we're still the house of God. Now that said, even though the physical building isn't necessarily the church, having a warm, inviting, well-maintained building with a roof that isn't leaking is a true blessing. One that we are called to steward to help us achieve God's commission by providing a place we can meet together regularly, worship joyfully, and... and a place and build up our community in Christ. So in closing, if we are to wholeheartedly live out our mission as Second Baptist Church, we all need to get around to it and prioritize our contributions of time, talent, and financial resources in support of God's house, this local body of Christ, and as you finalize your pledge, some of you may have already turned it in, but if those of you haven't finalized it yet, I ask you to prayerfully consider what this looks like for you. And there's no judgments here. This is between you and God. And that judgment about what, how do I prioritize God, am I prioritizing my life? And if you haven't received a pledge card yet, we've been handing them out for three weeks, you can get one from George. George, are you here? George has got some, so you can catch him on your way out if you haven't gotten, and and prayerfully consider that, and you can turn it in. I know today was our end of our thing, but if you get it in next week, I'm sure it's gonna count because what's important is that commitment. Um, And while we're talking about getting around to it, I need to mention two other things separate from stewardship. The first is if you're not yet a member of Second Baptist Church and believe this is the place you want to sink your roots as part of the body of Christ, but haven't gotten around to it yet and joined, I ask you to prayerfully consider taking that step to become a formal part of this church. As the old saying goes, come on in, the water's fine. And secondly, if you've been attending here for a while but haven't gotten around to the most important decision in your life, the decision to put your faith in Christ and follow him, I would encourage you to take that step today. Amen. I'll be available up front during the last song and we can pray together if, that's, if you feel that on your heart. So let us close in prayer. Lord God, We ask your forgiveness for putting our priorities before yours. May your Holy Spirit continue to grow us in faith and dependence on you instead of ourselves. And may you give us all hearts of generosity and joy to be part of building up your house so that we can continue on in your missions for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.